0: Welcome to the ACC podcast. We're honored that you took some time out of your day to listen to one of our weekly messages. We hope that these messages bring you closer to Jesus, strengthen your faith, and deepen your understanding about the Bible. If you're thinking of attending ACC, we're currently holding one service at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. You can visit our website for more information. That's Christian.church. That's A-N-A c-o-r-t-e-s christian dot church you can also visit our website if you have any questions about acc like our core beliefs where we are located or if you'd like to get in contact with us we would love to hear from you so whether you're sitting driving or exercising thanks for tuning in let's dive into the bible together
1: very common or popular passage of scripture, Proverbs 16, 9, says, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps, right? We love to have things mapped out. Most of us do. There's different personality types, but but we like to plan things. And how many of you have ever had plans disrupted? Um, I mean, everyone, right? Life happens, right? Things, things change. In fact, it's probably more rare that everything would go according to plan perfectly every time. It seems like every time you plan something, there's always an inevitable something that was unforeseen that throws those plans for a loop and you have to adjust. How do we handle those disruptions? Whether we're talking about travel plans, career plans, building plans? Are they woeful interruptions? Or maybe is that too part of the plan? Oh, getting all philosophical, right? My wife and I are are different, which is good. Um, She is a planner. Uh, I remember when we got married, she had like every step, every you know, 15 minute block of time of the weekend of our wedding completely mapped out who needed to be where and when and everything. We did not need a wedding planner. She could be a wedding planner. She would be really good at it. Um, I'm more of a, not just go with the flow kind of a person. And, and uh, that sometimes works, but I've actually officiated and photographed weddings since our wedding. And I've seen what happens when the bride, because they're usually the ones in charge of the planning, I don't know why, but um, when the bride is more like me, a go with the flow kind of a person, that really easygoing person suddenly becomes real close to Bridezilla. <laughs> because all these things that weren't foreseen or planned pop up on your special day. And it's very stressful. So it's good to be a planner. Um, however, we keep each other in check because some, inevitably, every day, something throws the plans off. And being, having someone in your life that's more of a go-with-the-flow, cruise-control type of guy can bring you back down, you know, can, can make things easier. So we complement each other. It's great. But this passage right here that we're going to read today It's kind of like a type A person's worst nightmare. Um, And actually, it really does apply to all of us as well. And in context, let's just, a little bit of review, James has been talking about two kinds of wisdom, the wisdom of this world versus the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of this world is one that formulates and plans your life around your ambitions and desires. And James has shown how that always leads to chaos and quarreling, fighting, even death. That's like the status of our world that we live in, right? And so two different paths built upon, basically, who is the God in your life? You know, if, if, if an object of my desire Is my ultimate goal. My path is going to be shaped accordingly. And James says that path will end up in chaos. But if God is on the throne of my life, that path leads to increased peace and trust, Sabbath, life, and so on. And you can't be on both paths. You can't serve two masters. He says to be on one is to have enmity with God. So James says the mark of wisdom then is humility. He says, humble yourselves therefore. If, hum- if humility is the mark of true wisdom, what is the opposite of wisdom? You could say it's arrogance. And that's where James is going to go today. He's going to talk about arrogance. And so let's look at James 4, 13 through 17. It says this, now listen. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Let's pray. Father, this is a section of James that involves some rebuke. And that's not fun. That's not entertaining. But it is for a purpose. There's life in it. And I just pray, God, that you'd reveal yourself to us and even reveal ourselves to ourselves and help us to, I guess, alter the way we think about our plans and our trajectory and conform them to your will. Because that is where real joy is. That's how we become established as people. And I just pray, Lord, that... uh, You'd give us a roadmap for that and show us how to follow you every day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, it starts off with, now listen, and, or, or it's um, you know come now. Uh, it, it is a derogatory or, or a rebuke tone in the original language. And he does this twice. He's going to do it next week. He's going to say the same thing. Now listen, you, and he talks about people who have a lot of wealth. But He follows them both up with a reassurance, a reassurance. I want to calm you down, be patient, and anticipate the Lord is coming. You know, it'll be okay. So um, there's a rebuke here. What's the rebuke? What's he rebuking? And he gives kind of a quote. You who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. What's wrong with that? Um, I mean, this is what every high school guidance counselor would tell you you're supposed to come up with, right? I mean, in fact, if they can't get you to figure out what you're going to do career-wise for the rest of your life, they take it as a personal failure oftentimes. But the reality is plans change, careers change, circumstances change, right? But, but is it bad to make plans? Is it bad to try to chart your course? to plan for retirement or leisure or even fun. After all, you look at Proverbs 6, you know, and other passages like it in the Bible, where the the author in Proverbs, he compares um, us with an ant, you know, and he he talks to a lazy person, a sluggard, and he says, uh, you you know, you sluggard, consider the ant who gathers up in stores for winter at the time of harvest instead of just living for the moment and eating everything now and, and so on, right? And so there's wisdom and prudence and, and having a sense of how you're going to accommodate different situations in life. That's part of being a wise human being, although Ecclesiastes comes in and kind of says, you know what? It all ends up in the same place anyway, and it's just meaningless, you know? So there's, there's sort of like, yes, I can chart my course, but there's also like this context of like bringing you back down to earth. Like, yeah, but in the end, uh, anything you do is really nothing, you know? Uh, there, there's got to be a power outside of ourselves. And so I, I think that what James is getting at here is not just that it's not like planning is bad, But he clarifies in verse 16. He says, As it is you boast in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. There's an attitude, there's a boastful arrogance here that's being rebuked. And this Greek term for arrogant schemes, it carries the sense of one who is showing off that which he or she thinks or pretends he or she possesses. You know, it's kind of like... Someone who, I mean, kids do this and it's normal when adults do this, it's kind of weird. You know, that, that whole like, oh yeah, I, I got a better pocket knife at home. <laughs> I, yeah, you guys, you guys went on vacation to Silverwood? We're going to Disneyland. We're going to Disneyland. Hey, Mom, are, you, are they going to Disneyland? No, what are they talking about? No. You know, like there, there's, you know we, we have to one-up one another sometimes in our, in our boasting. And James is saying that there's an attitude here that is quite revealing. This mode of going about our planning, it's kind of our normal mode of operation for the way we work in this world. And yet, this if we have this confident assumption of future-laid plans... It's spoken of as boasting in arrogant schemes, like one who goes around bragging about something he or she owns or has when in fact they don't. It's like a con artist. It's like to to have that much confidence in our future plans and to somehow wear that as some sort of a status symbol is, is like being a con artist. It's like boasting in something you don't even have. It's vaporous. Why do we do that? Why do we boast? Perhaps there's an insecurity there. There's a reputation that we have to uphold. Perhaps there's a glory that we desire or to be impressive to other people, to look like we have things all together. And one pastor put it this way. He said, what if the plans that we make are born out of faulty or worse yet, disobedient thinking? What if the plans that we make are born out of faulty or, even worse, disobedient thinking? James is rebuking his audience for functioning and acting according to the world's version of wisdom. I'm going to break this passage down and show what the problem is with this a little bit. We tend to live as though we are much less dependent upon the Lord than we think we are. And when we operate with these assumptions, it's not only arrogant, it's potentially blasphemous. So look at this phrase. You who say today or tomorrow, what is that? Someone who has dominion over their time, as if time were eternal, as if they have eternity. We will go to this or that city, having dominion over space, or to plot our course to be omnipresent, right? We'll spend a year there and carry on business to have control or dominion over our abilities and what we can do and produce, omnipotence, to be all-powerful. And we'll make money, have control over the result or the reward to be the source of abundance. We live as though we are eternal, omnipresent, omnipotent, self-generating sources of abundance, What does that sound like to you? Sounds like God, right? The way we think and plan by default comes with a broken, fallen nature that operates with this presumption that we can be God or like God. The serpent with Adam and Eve, take this fruit, take what looks desirable now and you'll be like gods, knowing good and evil. You don't have to look elsewhere for wisdom. You'll be the arbiter of wisdom, right? You'll have wisdom all your own. Or the Tower of Babel. Let us build a tower with its top in the heavens. Here's our plans, right? And let us make a name for ourselves. And the Lord sees their little scheme and he's like, eh, no. He disrupts the plan. To contrast this way of thinking, Romans 12, 1, Paul writes, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, it is a merciful gift that God gives us life, that he gives us the ability to function, that he gives us abundance, that he gives us breath in our lungs. In view of his mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Something tells me that not operating according to a deceitful, faulty, vaporous default takes having our minds renewed, retrained to be able to discern and know what the will of God is. Now let's look at these things in turn. Time, having dominion over time, today or tomorrow, we'll spend a year there, whatever, right? Earlier this week, I was at our dinner table And it was a particularly good week. And I think I may have mentioned this. I'm not sure. I talked about it to some people. And it just sort of all hit me at once, like, because I'm I'm saying a blessing over our food. And that can become really routine and rote. And so I'm thinking to myself, I don't want this to just be a formula. Lord, thank you for this food. Please bless it to our bodies and so on. But just how do I be eternally, I mean, I guess authentically grateful for what has been provided to me? You know, and I looked around the table <clears throat> and I look at my children, you know, and, and, and you know, for all the, the, there's joy and there's turmoil, there's love and there's frustration. It's all bundled into one. But I look at them in that moment and I can see just how precious this moment in time is and how just getting through day to day, how much I live as though, This is just status quo forever. It's just assumed. It's eternal. Right? Or or that we're always going to have food on our plates or a roof over our heads. It's just kind of taken for granted. And to realize that, like, actually, it's not. Like, these guys are going to grow in a blink of an eye and they're going to be out of the house. Not only that, but, like, we're all going to die. I mean, really, think about it. None of this... None of what we take for granted, lasts, None of it. You're going to lose it all. And so in that moment, to be able to say like, "Oh God, thank you so much, that I have this moment. I just have a moment with this gift. And that's precious, because it's all going to go. I did a little math. This week, because in a couple of weeks, I'm going to turn 40 years old. And the only thing that resounds in my mind when I hear 40 is, is all as a kid, all my friends, parents, and my parents who were suddenly over the hill when they turned 40. And that seems so old to me. And so I did a little math and I looked up the average lifespan of a white American male, and I wrote a date down, December, or September 4th, 2060. If I live exactly as long as the average, that's the day I'm going to die. 14,174 days from now. 14,174 and one ticks down every 24 hours. That's not much, if you think about it. I mean, if that were dollars, you can't buy a new car with that. Used to, but not anymore. Um, you think about our national debt, it's not even on the map. Like, it's you know, there's, there's uh, 14,174 days. Tomorrow it'll be 73. Um, how does the reality of death change the way we live? There's something I, I always loathe and very much appreciate about memorial services. You know, every time I do one or we have one or we go to one, there's there's this feeling you know is coming and it's very somber and sobering, but it also is very rewarding because it causes you to realize how fragile your life is and how short it is and also to very much appreciate the important things. And I say something about that at the beginning of every memorial service I do. Psalm 39, 4-7 says, Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure." Surely, everyone goes around like a mere phantom. In vain, they rush about, heaping up wealth without knowing whose it will finally be. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. So that's time. Let's talk about space or direction. We live as though we can plot our own course. Famous poem Invictus, I am the captain of my ship, I am the master of my soul, seems to be the running mantra on every advertisement on television today, right? You can do and be and go who, where, whatever you want. It's, you know, actualization from within is the key. In December of 2019, my wife and I were beginning to plan an anniversary trip to Costa Rica. It didn't happen. Why? 2020, right? Everything's shut down. How many of your plans were shut down all of a sudden a couple years ago or a year and a half ago? Like how many of you had, had plans? How many of you had a direction charted, a job or a 401k? You know, things have changed suddenly and it was not anticipated. There is a boastfulness in just assuming that we can chart our own course, even though in some sense or another it's wise to do so. Power. The third one. <clears throat> we will do business, right? We have abilities that reap rewards. There's a verse in Psalm 20, verse nine or six through nine. He says this, Now this I know, The Lord gives victory to his anointed. It's also the word Messiah, Mashiach. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. His power. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. That's one kind of power. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They, horses and chariots, are brought to their knees and fall, but we will rise up and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the king. Answer us when we call. In Deuteronomy, the Lord gave instructions to the Israelites should they ever have a king. And one of those instructions was to not amass for themselves horses and chariots, to not build up a huge army. They were a theocracy. At a time, there were other things like uh, not marrying, not, not amassing lots of women and gold. And King Solomon, one generation after this psalm was written, was known for his wisdom. He was known for his wisdom, but he also got those three things wrong. Because by the end of his reign, there were more chariots and horses than could count, more gold than anywhere else in the world. And 700 wives and concubines. But God reminds his people remember, it was me who fed you in the wilderness. I caused your clothes to not wear out and your sandals not to wear out. I gave you manna to eat, I gave you water to drink. You didn't do any of this yourself. It was my power, not yours. So why? Why not trust in horses and chariots? Because it becomes easier and easier to put our confidence in that, that which we see, that which we can put our hands on and look at that looks strong. It's easy to put our trust in our own power when we don't have to trust in God's power. What are your horses and chariots? Some trust in 401ks. Some trust in Bitcoin. Some trust in government. Some trust and their wits and abilities and talents, all of these crumble and fall. So that's power. Lastly, abundance. And we'll make money. Interestingly, like we had plans when we bought a house. We got into a house in 2010. It had good bones, needed a lot of work. So we did a lot of work to it. I think that now the house is like more than double its value. But the plan was, this is a starter house. And as our family grows, we're going to hopefully upgrade into something that fits us better. These are first world problems. I totally understand. Um, But we didn't anticipate that the market would take off well beyond what we would be able to upgrade to. Right? Um, Abundance. Do you control it or not? positive. Um, Sorry, I had that word written down here. (laughs) Oh yeah, on a positive note, like we plan to have our house paid off in a few years. That'll be great because then we can use all that extra money and have freedom with that, right? But what are we planning to do with that? And now as you look at our economy now, there's the very high chance of inflation, loss of the value of a dollar, All these things are up in the air, right? Luke 12, Jesus tells a parable. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. That is lawfully what the older brother was supposed to do. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. This is every bit as painful for me as it is, I'm sure, for you to hear. I like things, I like to store them up, right? But what is the solution here? James has revealed that we tend to live as though we are eternal, omnipresent, omnipotent, self-generating, self-sufficient beings, and that is not only boastful and arrogant, but it's also futile. It's, It's living a lie. It's living with deception. And so where does James point us? He points us to a question that I think is central to the whole passage, is this, what is your life? What is your life? What is the substance of your life? What does it consist of? And probably one way to answer that question is another question, and that is, what do you put your trust in? What is your basis? What is your foundation? What is your life? How is a person established? What, I seem to have this sense that it should be eternal what makes it eternal? One, James says, be aware of and contemplate how fragile our lives really are. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow and you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So here's, here's three things that James does to sort of make us aware and start to renew our minds a little bit about this deception. Your time, your space, Abilities and abundance should not be assumed. We are totally dependent upon the Lord for each of them. Every breath is a gift from God. And so one, I think, have gratitude. That was our action step last week, right? Be grateful for this moment. Be grateful for everything we have been entrusted with. But do we live in view of such dependence? Do we know how dependent we really are? Or do we take for granted his mercy and spend our time scheming over how we might acquire more? So place your dependence actively on the Lord. Two, steward the time and the space and the abilities and the abundance you've been given in his service to his will. Instead, you ought to say, James says, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and we'll do this or that. Now, we've actually turned that into a formula, too. I plan on a cross-country trip, Lord willing, right? Going to have a child, Lord willing. Going to retire at age 60, Lord willing, right? And so it's almost like a little catchphrase, like a little, you've got to insert the magic formula or it's not going to work. Um, You know, as long as you say, Lord willing, God will make sure that my will be done, right? (laughs) Um, Instead, are we using the time, the space, abilities, and abundance we've been given, and are we stewarding them in accordance with his revealed will? If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them, James says so we often ask the question, what is God's will for my life? Well, a lot of that is not very mysterious. Most of it has been revealed in Scripture. And so what James is getting at is is that like our whole mentality of like, well, I want these things and I want to do those things and here's my path that I'm charting and I am living like I am going to live forever, you know, Um, living with confidence in my own power, acting like I can chart my own course, and putting my trust in my own ability to provide everything. Um, and what James is getting at is, what if that was all directed towards accomplishing God's will, His revealed revered, revealed will. One commentary put it this way Do not merely say that you want to know God's will or that you recognize your dependence on His will. Look carefully at what God has already said about His will and do that. So, what has He said? Well, here's a few things, okay? One, we are to be disciples of Jesus and we are to make disciples of Jesus. That was His commission to the church. We are to be baptized into allegiance and faith in Christ, and we are to baptize others into faith and allegiance to Jesus Jesus Christ. We are to be teaching, and we are to be taught to obey everything the Lord has commanded, and we're to be teaching others. So, are we saying to ourselves, yeah, I know that's what we're supposed to be doing, and along my trajectory, if the opportunity arises, I'll take advantage of it, Or are we conforming our our time and resources and abilities to his will? Are we actually pursuing discipleship and making disciples? We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. Are we going out of our way to find ways to do that? James says, True religion is this, to care for orphans and widows and visit them in their distress that may look like a number of things in this time in this life. Single moms, um, orphans, I don't know, you know, sponsoring a child, whatever, but but like are we like pursuing these things? Am I using any of the resources God has given me to intentionally do these things? That's the question. And lastly, be assured. Be reassured. One was be aware of how fragile our lives really are. Two is steward the time, space, abilities, abundance we've been given in service to his will, his revealed will. And and three, be reassured. Be reassured. Because it doesn't go here in this passage, but where James sums up these two rebukes that are happening is, is to say, be patient. The Lord will return. He will come, like your inheritance will arrive. 2 Corinthians 1, 20-22 says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen, is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. Remember, can horses and chariots make you stand? No, it is God in Christ who causes you to stand firm. He anoints us. Remember what the psalmist prayed. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. In Christ, he anoints us. Set his seal of ownership on us. Bought us, sealed us, redeemed us forgives us. And put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Pursuing, following the leading of the spirit should have been a number four on there. Because Jesus, when he was about to leave, he said, I'm going to give you the spirit who will lead you into all truth. How do you set your course? How do you chart your path? Well, there is one who knows all truth and who is given to us as a seal of what is to come, and we can pursue being led by the Holy Spirit because he leads into truth. But it is God who establishes us. What is your life? Let's just look at that psalm again. Now this I know. The Lord gives victory to his anointed, his Messiah. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. And now, in Christ, that power is yours. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall. 401ks, plans, abilities, relationships, all of it, but we rise up and we stand firm. Lord, give victory to the king. Answer us when we call. That prayer was answered. Jesus himself, on the night that he was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, weeping in severe agony as this question of pursuing God's will was running conflict with his own desires at that moment. And as he's knowing, looking down the road at what it would cost to purchase our standing in Him. He prayed this prayer. He said, Lord, if it is at all possible, let this cup pass from me. Like, if it is the Lord's will, we'll live and do this or that. But He says, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. And because He did that, because He went to the cross, We now have the right to come before God and stand in his presence as forgiven, as whole people in Christ, washed by the blood of the Lamb, as as Tyler was we just saying, who now have a future and a hope that is solid and unshakable. It's because of the price he paid and his perfect obedience to the Father's will. What is your life? What establishes you? What will cause you to stand firm? Everything else crumbles. If you are, an eternal victor- if you are in the eternal victorious King, he has and will cause you to stand. Find your life in him. Now, in a moment, we're going to take communion together. But before we do, I want to pray a prayer that I ran across. And this is a prayer by Thomas Keating. Before I pray, you can get your emblems ready. And in a moment, what we'll do is we'll celebrate our daily bread. We'll celebrate what Jesus has provided for us and our sufficiency in it. That even as we experience lack and pain today, even as our plans are disrupted and the future is extremely uncertain and our foundations are feeling kind of slippery, we have this. We have the body and blood of Jesus representing a finished transaction guaranteeing us a place and an inheritance in God. Pray with me for a moment this is the prayer it's called the welcoming prayer welcome 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 I welcome everything that comes to me today because I know it's for my healing I welcome all thoughts feelings emotions persons situations and conditions I let go of my desire for power and control. I let go of my desire for affection, esteem, approval, and pleasure. I let go of my desire for survival and security. I let go of my desire to change any situation, condition, person, or myself. And I open to the love and presence of God in God's action within. Amen.
0: Thanks again for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ or have questions about having a relationship with Jesus, we would love to hear from you. Call us at 360-293-3729 or visit our website anytime. Have a great week and remember you are loved by us and by Jesus.